You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're continuing a series that we started last week for Lent called The Resistance. We're talking about this idea of resisting the enemies that want to sabotage our peace. Speaking of resistance, I heard an interesting story. I read an interesting story uh, in the news the other day about a man in Daytona Beach, Florida, who heard some noise outside of his front door. He thought it was somebody looking for his son, and he opened the door and was surprisingly bitten by a nine-foot alligator. Did you see this? There's a picture of the alligator there. Did you see this in the news? Just think, you move from New York to get away from the snow, you go to Florida, and you get bit by an alligator. You can't win, folks. Come on, there's something everywhere, okay? Snow here, alligators there, hurricanes, everybody's got something. <laughs> this guy gets bit by, bit by an alligator. Now, the, the article went on to talk about what to do if you're ever in a situation where you get attacked by an alligator. You might want to know. And the main thing it says is resist. Like, don't just lay there and let the alligator kill you. Hello? Like, fight back, right? Even though an alligator is an animal that has, like, one of the most powerful jaws in all of creation, like, you should punch it, poke it in the eye, because, you know, nobody likes getting poked in the eye, even if you're an alligator, and he might let go of you. You got to resist. Do you, do you get the point here, Right? Now, obviously, this guy had a huge disadvantage because he got attacked by an enemy that he least suspected and wasn't prepared for. Can you blame the guy? Didn't expect nine-foot alligator at the door. And I think something similar happens to us spiritually. We often get attacked by an enemy that we least suspect, an enemy that we're not prepared for. You say, Pastor Jeremy, what do you mean by that? Well, what I'm talking about is we're not mindful. We're not always mindful of the fact that the Christian experience, this walk of faith, this, this, this journey of following Jesus is often a spiritual battle. And we're not always mindful of that. We're mindful of other threats. We're, we're mindful of the everyday threats. Oh, you're mindful of the person who's driving crazy in traffic who cuts you off and you're ready to fight them. You're mindful of the sketchy looking person who's walking towards you on a dark night on the street or on the subway. Hello, I puff my chest out a little bit more and get angry looking. You're about to get all 60 pounds of this skinny white boy over here if you come at me the wrong way. <laughs> it's more like 180 these days, to be honest, but we're mindful of those threats, but I don't think we're always mindful of the spiritual battle that we're in. And so we don't, we don't always come prepared to, to resist to resist the enemy. How many of you know that sometimes following Jesus feels like a spiritual tug of war? Does it ever feel that, that way? Some days, like, it just feels like a tug of war. I mean, I have Christians come to me sometimes, and I think there's this sense of, like, pastor, am I doing this the right way? Like, I'm not quite sure if this faith thing is working out for me, because I still have all these challenges. I have all these problems in, in my life. How many of you discovered that when you, when you decided to follow Jesus, when you got committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of your problems did not magically go away. In fact, some of you got new problems when you decided to follow Jesus. Have you discovered this? Like, you might be a believer, but maybe you're still having some, some health challenges. 
You might be sincerely endeavoring to follow Jesus, but you're experiencing some financial challenges or you're, you're dealing with difficult people in your life. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord. Maybe there's opposition that you're facing at work. Maybe it's a struggle in, in your marriage. And then we all have temptations. All of us as human beings, that's part of the human experience. Some of us were fighting like habits and addictions that keep, you know, creeping back into our lives. It's like spiritual whack-a-mole. You hit one and another one pops up, right? Just when you think you're done dealing with that one temptation, another temptation pops up in, in your life. Even on your good days, even on the days when you start the day right, sometimes it feels like a spiritual battle, doesn't it? You know, I'm talking about those moments, those mornings where you get up and you listen to worship music on your commute, on your way to the office, like you're prayed up. You've been listening to your Spotify worship playlist. And so you're ready to take on the day. The devil's not going to want any of this today because I'm prayed up. And you get in the office and the first person you see is that annoying coworker and they're already in your ear complaining. Come on, you're not even five minutes into the day and you already want to curse somebody out. It's a struggle sometimes. It's a battle Sometimes, isn't it? You get up on a Sunday morning. Come on, parents. You get up on a Sunday morning and we're going to go to church. We're going to make it to church. Even if it's daylight savings, we're getting up. We're going to be, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? And you're on the way to church and your kids are in the backseat acting like they're demon possessed. You're yelling at kids. You haven't even made it to church. Some of y'all are laughing because it feels better to laugh about it because that's what happened to you this morning. It's a battle sometime. Let me speak to the men for just a moment, okay? Come on, men. You have that morning where you get up, you know, you get your devotion and you read your, your Bible app, you know, your version Bible app reading plan, and you read a scripture that's so inspiring, you're going to go on Instagram and share it with everybody else. I'm going to go in stories, and I'm going I'm to share the scripture with everybody else. And as soon as you open up Instagram, who's there waiting for you? Bikini girls, they're waiting for you. Come on. You don't have to go looking for her. She'll find you. She's always there for you. It's a struggle. <laughs> it's a battle. Like sometimes, am I preaching to any real people who are living the real Christian experience every day? Sometimes it's a spiritual battle. She's always there for you. Listen, let me just encourage somebody this morning, okay? If the Christian life feels like a struggle, if the Christian life feels like a battle. If you're experiencing some opposition, let me just encourage you, you're doing it just about right. Because the writers of scripture, they, they tell us that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is at times. You were born on a battlefield between good and evil. There is a cosmic battle raging in the heavenlies and here on planet earth. And you and I, we are right smack in the middle of it. If you're endeavoring to follow Jesus, you got to know that this, this life of following him, it involves spiritual struggle. I mean, if you don't believe me, are you watching the same news I'm watching? Just put the news on every day. Stories of people doing terrible things to each other, school shootings, addiction dictator over in Russia bombing innocent people right now. Like there is a real battle raging in this world between good and evil. And you and I, we're living in the middle of it, in the crossfires of it. In fact, the apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It seems like that, but actually against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits 
in the heavenly places. Paul says that our, our daily struggle, it's less physical than you think it is. You think it's the coworker. You think it's this. You think it's that. But really, there's a spiritual battle that's happening around us, and we need to be prepared. We want to be the guy who answers the door, not suspecting the alligator. Like, we need to be prepared to resist. It's a real enemy that wants to destroy your soul and, and rob you of peace. And I think these days he's doing a pretty good job because peace seems to be in short supply. I don't have very many people coming to me saying, Pastor Jeremy, I don't know what to do. I've got so much peace in my life. It's just overflowing for me to other people. But I have a lot of people coming to me, anxious, stressed out, overwhelmed. And so we have to be intentional. We've got to be prepared. And we have to realize that the Christian life isn't just one of obedience. It's one of resistance. And that's what this series is all about. Now, last week, Pastor Brad gave a great message, and he talked about resisting the enemy. He talked about Satan resisting the enemy by, by replacing his lies with the truth of God's word. If you missed that message, go on YouTube and check that out. Today, I want to talk to you about an enemy who actually lives a lot closer to home. I want to talk to you about resisting our sinful desires. I want to talk to you about the place where, where the battle for good and evil is often playing out, and that is the human heart. That is our own, our own sinful desires that we are often battling. I want to revisit a quote that we shared last week, and it comes from Pastor John Mark Comer in a great book that he wrote called Live No Lies. He, he said this. He described the, the, the way the enemy wants to attack us. He said, the devil's strategy is deceitful ideas. We talked about that last week. That play to disordered desires. I'm going to talk about that today. That are normalized in a sinful society. Deceitful ideas, that's the lies of the enemy, that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society like you and I are living in today. See, the enemy's lies aren't just random. They're like laser-guided missiles. They appeal to our disordered desires, what we might call our sinful nature. See, Scripture tells us that we as human beings have one fundamental problem in common, and that is we have a sinful nature. It's almost like a magnetic pull on us toward, toward behavior that is dishonoring of God, that is selfish, that is destructive, that leads to brokenness. Now, the scripture tells us that we were made in the image of God. That means God placed something of himself inside of every human being, and we have great dignity and worth and purpose, and we are capable of doing good things. That doesn't mean that human beings aren't capable of doing good, but scripture tells us that humanity rebelled against God, and with that came the curse of sin and the curse of death, so that now humanity is in this fallen condition. This, the image of God is still in us. The residual image of God is still there, but it's tarnished, and now there is like a magnetic pull on us toward destructive decisions. Once again, if you don't believe me, look at the world around us. Look at what people are doing to each other every day. Look at the brokenness that is close to every one of us in our own lives. Think about the things that we've all done to add to the brokenness of the world. There's something broken in the human condition that we cannot fix for ourselves. And the writers of the New Testament often refer to the sinful nature as the flesh. How many of you have read that before, as you've read, especially in the New Testament, the flesh? Let me show you a few references. The Apostle Paul described the fallen condition of humanity this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. He was reminding the Ephesians of who they used to be before Christ. He said, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and allowing its desires and following its desires and thoughts. Look at what he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 5. He said, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, 
The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. The apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers, in other words, because we're citizens of heaven, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. There it is in scripture, time and time again, the flesh. And I think the flesh is a great term because it reminds us of, of the animal side that every one of us still has. I know you're sophisticated. I know you're New Yorkers. I know you dress good. I know you're educated. I know you're upwardly mobile, but there is an animal instinct inside of every one of us. There are desires that drive us for self-gratification and self-preservation. It's the sinful nature. The writers of the New Testament called it the flesh. What a powerful word picture. It's desires that feel natural to our body, but often lead us to sin. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying all desires are wrong. How many of you know that God is the creator of everything that is good, okay? Sometimes we can get this idea growing up in Christianity that all of the desires that are natural to our body for food and for sex and for pleasure are all wrong. No, God is the author of pleasure. There's nothing happening on planet Earth that is causing God to be shy and embarrassed in heaven, okay? He made everything. But how many of you know desires need boundaries, Desires are like rivers that need levees. Rivers are, are powerful when they can be channeled in the right direction, but you do not want a, a river to overflow its levees because that leads to destruction. And that's what our sinful desires often do. They're natural to our bodies, but they carry us into, into sinfulness. Now, let me give you a few principles that we need to understand about our desires. Here's the first one. Number one, we are by nature desiring creatures. Did you know that? We are by nature desiring creatures. Now, most of modern Western thinking about our desires actually comes from the famous Austrian psychiatrist, Freud. How many of you remember reading about Freud or maybe studying about him in a psychology class? He, he really just looms large in modern Western thinking because he had such an influence on our thinking. And I think he got a lot of things wrong that are very contrary to scriptural thinking because Freud basically said that the worst thing you can do is repress your desires. He essentially said that the driving force in humanity is the sex drive, the libido, and that most neurotic conditions, most mental, mentally ill conditions are manifestations of our, of our desires being repressed. And so the worst thing you can do is live in a society that represses your desires. Now, before Freud came along, most people in the Western world thought about desires through a much more Christian lens, the lens of St. Augustine. Who's ever heard of that guy before? A lot of churches and schools named for St. Augustine. St. Augustine said that we are by nature desiring and loving beings before we are rational beings. He said that we live primarily from, from desire, not our rational minds. And I know some of you are disagreeing with me, with me right now, even as I say that, that's not true, Pastor Jeremy. I'm very rational, especially the men in here. I know men. No, Pastor Jeremy, I'm, I'm rational. I think clearly. I think, therefore, I am, right? And I have husbands that come to me sometimes and say, Pastor Jeremy, pray for my marriage. I don't know what to do. We argue. And it's like, because I'm so rational, yet she's so emotional. And then the same guy will turn around and buy a sports car that he can't afford. You're not as rational as you think you are. We are, we are desiring animals. Think about that. You're not as rational as you think you are. We know we need to eat healthy, yet we desire and want to eat a full box of donuts, don't we? We know, we, we get stressed about our finances and know we need to cut back on our spending, yet we go out and make a purchase that we can't afford and we feel perfectly great about it, don't we? We're not as rational as we think we are. 
We are led by our desires. Think about it when you connect with somebody. What do you connect with? You connect with people when you love the same things. You ever meet somebody and they love the same sports teams as you, love the same food as you, love the same music as you, and you're friending them on Instagram and Facebook so fast, you're like, we're going to be friends. And then you meet somebody that's the opposite. You don't like the same sports teams. You don't like the same food. You don't like the same music. You're like, it's great to meet you. Let's never stay in touch ever again, right? Because we connect with people over the things we love because we are by nature desiring, loving creatures. Here's number two. Our desires get disordered. Not only are we desiring creatures, but the problem is our desires get disordered. See, according to St. Augustine, the problem of the human condition is that we either love the wrong things or we love the right things in the wrong order. He said our our loves get disordered. In other words, it's a good thing to love your job. If you love your job, that's wonderful. How many of you love your job? I'm looking for the people who are on staff at Redemption. You better have your hand up. I pay your paycheck. It's good to love your job, right? It's wonderful to love your job. But if you love your job more than you love your family, that's messed up. That's not good, okay? If you love things like money and sex and material possessions more than you love God, then those things become your God. We have a word for that in Christianity. It's called idolatry. Okay? In fact, there are a lot of people who don't think they're religious. We're surrounded by many people here in the New York City area who don't consider themselves to be religious, but everybody's worshiping something. For a lot of people, it's sex and money and socioeconomic status and all that stuff, right? And so here's what Augustine said. He, he said that if we love things in the wrong order, it brings harm to our souls. And I think we instinctively know that's true. And so for Christians, we have to continually, with the help of the Holy Spirit, reorient our, our loves toward God. We have, to, we have to continually reorder our loves, reprioritize our loves, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Because our natural drift as human beings is for our loves to get disordered. Then here's the third thing, talking about desires. What we feed grows. What we feed grows. See, the desires that you feed grow. The appetites that you feed grow. What you indulge grows and shapes you. Give you an easy example. Think about food, right? I don't know about you. When I eat healthy food, I tend to want to eat more healthy food, you know? When I go somewhere, eat some chicken and some rice and some broccoli, I feel good about myself. I'm more inspired to drink water and to exercise and to get sleep. Like It reinforces my other good habits. When I eat healthy, it makes me want to eat more healthy. Do you experience this? But how many of you know the opposite is also true? When you eat junk food, it makes you crave more junk food. How many of you ever open up a bag of chips while you're cooking because you're hungry? And I'm like, I'm just going to eat a few chips while I'm cooking this healthy dinner. And before you know it, your hand hits the bottom of the bag and it's empty and you ate the whole bag of chips. This is what happens to us, right? It stirs up our appetite. Now, it's one thing if that happens, you know, a one-off every now and then. But if you do that every day, well, you are what you eat eventually. You are what you eat and it affects it affects your, your health. And we might even say you are what you love. You are what you love. Over time, as you indulge, over time, whatever desires you give into, they shape you. In fact, Tim Keller said this, and I wrote this down years ago. This stuck with me. The power of, of our actions, the power of our choices, the power of what desires we indulge. Listen to this. He said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Think about that for a moment. Can we pull that quote up? Let's put that back up there. Sow a thought, reap an action. Listen to this. Sow an action, reap a habit. 
Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You are deciding your life one decision at a time. One decision at a time, we're shaping who we are. We either end up living in slavery to the flesh or in the freedom of the spirit. One decision at a time. We make our decisions and our decisions make us. Over time, what we indulge, what we give into, what desires we feed eventually end up shaping us because what you feed grows. Whatever appetite you feed grows so that it begins to shape you. At first, we're free to choose. And then after time, our, our choices begin to shape us so much that we don't, we're not as free as we used to be to decide. Now, to make matters worse, you and I live in a culture that preaches to us every day, follow your heart. Do whatever your heart desires as long as you're sincere. That is the message of the culture. Follow your heart as long as you're, you're sincere. The problem is you can be sincerely materialistic. You can be sincerely narcissistic. You can be sincerely racist. But our culture says follow what's in your heart. The, the height of human happiness is to fulfill the longings of your heart. So get this. Culture tells us fulfill the longings of your heart. Scripture tells us that the longings of our heart often pull us towards sin. And yet we're living in a culture that tells us to indulge every longing of your heart. Do you see a problem here? Does this maybe explain why there's so much brokenness in our world and in our lives, why so many people are stressed out, why so many people are anxious, why so many people are overweight, why so many people are addicted, why there's so many compulsions in in the culture that we're living in? Let me ask you this. Do you like the results that our culture is getting? If you do, do what everybody else is doing. If you like the results that our world is getting, if you do what everybody else does, you'll get what everybody else gets. One of my favorite writers, Richard Foster, great spiritual writer, once said, to conform to a sick society is to be sick. And so if you like what, what the, the world around you is getting, do that. If not, let's seek a different path and follow the path of what Scripture says. And so how do we actually battle against the flesh? And what do we do in light of this? What do we do in light of this, this magnetic pull on our hearts, these desires that we have living in these human bodies? What do we do living in this culture that gives us permission every day to do whatever we want? Well, Paul gives us some advice in Galatians chapter 5, and this is where I want to land the message. Galatians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he's talking to them about the freedom of the Spirit. There were these people in, in, in the Galatian church trying to influence them to go back to all these Jewish religious, uh, religious practices. They were basically saying it's Jesus plus all these other things you have to do. And Paul was teaching them to live in the freedom of the gospel, the freedom of the spirit. And here's what he wrote, Galat- Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, and then verses 24 and 25. He said, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the spirit desires what is contrary, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. How many of you can identify with that, that sometimes it feels like the spirit of God inside of you is in conflict with the flesh in you? The flesh that wants to do its thing. It's almost like multiple personality disorder. Like there's multiple versions of you on the, on the inside battling for control of your life. That is the picture. Look at verse 24. It says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What do we do? How do we bring the flesh into submission? What do we do with these hearts of ours? Paul gives us some advice. Here's the first thing. Step number one, you got to crucify the flesh. 
Paul says you got to crucify the flesh. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul says do the opposite of what the culture is preaching to you every day. Don't indulge your flesh. No, you got to put it to death, right? Don't negotiate with it. Don't try to manage your sinfulness. Don't try to tolerate it and hope that it'll just get better and go away. No, it'll only get worse. You can't make peace with your sinful desires. And I think sometimes we kind of drift into this thing of like sin management. You know, I can kind of tolerate this thing. It can kind of be there in my life. I'll go to God for forgiveness and the guilt will kind of kind of go away. And, and it's, you know, I'm going to try to manage my sins. Let me tell you, your sins will end up managing you. That's what will happen. I can tell you from personal experience, every time I've allowed some area of compromise in my life where I just thought, well, I'll just go to God for forgiveness in this area and I haven't been serious about it. My sin, my sin grows. Remember, remember, your desires aren't neutral. They're not static. Whatever you feed grows. Whatever appetite that you feed grows. And so we, we've got to pluck it out from the root. You know, we're coming into spring pretty soon. Hallelujah. Please get here sooner rather than later. Amen. Ready for spring, which means many of us are going to be gardening and taking care of our, our lawns again. You know, it's going to be that time of year. And I have one pet peeve when it comes to, to gardening. I hate dandelions. Anybody with me? Like when I get to heaven one day, I'm going to say, God, why did you allow? Those must have been a result of the curse of sin, right? Like dandelion, I hate dandelions. Like I think the devil plants dandelions in, in my lawn. And the thing about dandelions is like, you know, the plants you want to grow, you feed them, you water them, you fertilize them and they die. But dandelions, you don't have to do anything. A dandelion will just sprout right up in the asphalt in your driveway and just mock you. Just there looking at you like, what's up? I'm here. I hate dandelions. Now here's the thing about dandelions. What happens if you just try to pluck one up from the top? It's going to grow back in like two days, right? And it's going to be there again. Like, What's up? I'm back. <laughs> you got to pull a dandelion up by the roots, right? I have a little trowel, a little white trowel. I'm that guy out in his lawn, that white suburban guy in his, on his lawn with my AirPods in, digging out, digging out the, the dandelions out of my lawn, okay? My son makes fun of me. Aaron makes fun of me. It's like, Dad, you're that guy. But you got to get it out by the root. You got to get it out by, by the root. And that is a picture of what happens with sin. You can't compromise with it. You can't tolerate it. You can't have this thing that's over there and I just hope it's going to get better. Paul says, no, you got to crucify the flesh with the power of the gospel, with the help of the Holy Spirit, because we can become slaves to our desires so that they end up ruling over us and shaping our lives. Anybody who's battled with addiction in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So Paul says, you got to crucify the flesh. Step number two is this, and they really go hand in hand. You got to walk by the Spirit. You got to walk by the Spirit. Look what Paul says, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 25. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul tells us we had to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And I love this imagery of just walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. It's this picture of just every day, we're just walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. Just every day, daily dependence, daily prayer, daily worship, daily meditation in God's Word. We're walking in step with the Spirit. I'm not running ahead and getting ahead of Him and getting in trouble. No, no, no. I'm just walking with the Spirit. I'm not falling behind and trying to do it by myself. No, no. God forbid I do that. Just every day, walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with Him. See, the way we we win the war with, with the flesh isn't through willpower, but through the Spirit's power. 
That's what, that's what Paul tells us. To win the battle with the flesh. Like we need a power that is beyond us. Like how do we access that power? I want to talk to you about that in a moment, but I want you to get this first. Paul doesn't say to overcome sin, I want you to try harder. I want you to, I want you to try really hard. I want you to go after it with all of your willpower. You should use your willpower, but he doesn't say that's the solution. He doesn't say it's positive psychology. I want you to get up every day, look yourself in the mirror and say, I've got this. I can overcome sin. I'm good looking. I'm smart. I'm educated and people like me. That's not what Paul says to do. He says, you have to tap into a power that is beyond you. Now, the question is, how do we do that? I'm going to land the plane this morning. I'm going to give you two really practical spiritual disciplines that we think about this time of year in this season of Lent to help you out, to access the Spirit's power. Number one is fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Now, fasting, I think, is something that's really thankfully coming back into, into the church world. You know, here at Redemption, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, and many of you have attempted some form of, of fasting, which is wonderful. Um, but the ancient Christians fasted all the time, like living in a pagan fallen world like the Roman Empire. Like fasting was just something they did on a regular basis. Jesus's followers, John the Baptist's followers, like fasting was something they did on a regular basis. Why is that? Because fasting is a way of bringing the flesh into submission so that the spirit can prevail. It's a very tangible way of redirecting our longing for food toward a longing for God. That's what you're doing when you're you're fasting. It's not that food is bad, but it's a very powerful way of bringing your body into submission because you can't control your desires, but you can direct them. How many of you have discovered that you can't control your desires, your bodily desires? They're just there, right? Good. If you've ever tried to fast before, like, you know how powerful, like, the desire is for food. It's hard to control your desires, but you can direct them. In fact, the marketing world understands this. The marketing world is always trying to take your your desires and aim them at whatever product they're trying to sell. That's why sex sells everything from toothpaste to beer. Think about it, right? Like if you brush your teeth with this toothpaste, your your, your teeth are going to be gleaming and there's a supermodel who's going to come up and want to kiss you right on that mouth. It's not going to happen, right? Pop open this beer and all of a sudden like supermodels are going to be dropping out of helicopters into your backyard at your party. I hate to tell you, but the supermodels are not showing up just because you cracked open a can of Coors Light in your backyard. But marketers understand this. They try to direct our desires at their products. But fasting says, no, I'm going to direct my desires toward the things of God. I'm going to deny my body food or whatever it is you're fasting, alcohol, whatever, for a season so that I can orient my desires toward God. Now, Lent is inspired by the 40 days that of Jesus going into the wilderness, right? The, we've talked about this story the last couple of weeks. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, went into the wilderness to fast and to pray. And we know that the devil came to tempt him. The scripture says that he fasted, he prayed, he was filled with the spirit of God and the enemy came to tempt him. Now, growing up, traditionally, I always heard this preach that the enemy tried to attack Jesus when he was at his weakest point. You know, and it makes sense, right? He's out in the desert and he's fasting and he's tired. And if you remember the first temptation, the devil said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And most of us can identify with that temptation, right? Because it seems like the minute you start trying to fast, somebody puts brownies out in front of you. Like every time it's like, get thee behind me, Satan. Would you stop, right? Just put some brownies out around 21 days of fasting and prayer. You'll see. Don't do that. That's not nice. Don't do that. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about, right? But in reality, 
Jesus wasn't at his weakest point because he was fasting. No, it's the opposite we miss is that Jesus was at his strongest point because he was fasting. Come on. He had strengthened his spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was at the height of his power. He was ready to resist the devil because he had been fasting and praying. And so I want to encourage you. This is a great discipline to bring into your life, especially this time of year. If you go to our website and you scroll down in the bottom of the footer, just go to resources. We still have the 21 days of prayer and fasting resources there. We have some other Lent devotionals, some things there. But I would encourage you to try some form of fasting, especially if you're, if you're dealing with some particular compulsive habit, some temptation, something of the flesh in that way. And we all have something. Watch how fasting helps break the power of sin in, in your life. It's powerful. I've experienced that for myself. And we got some great resources there that will help you out. So check that out on the website. Here's the second thing. Number two, how do we access the power of the Spirit? Number two is confession. Confession. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we, we can confess our sins to each other. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, Pastor me, why do I have to do that? Because I can go to God and confess my sins. In fact, many of you grew up in maybe in a Catholic background and, and you've learned like, okay, I don't have to go to a priest for confession. I can go to Jesus Christ, who is my high priest for confession. And that is exactly true. That is a wonderful thing to know. That is a powerful truth. And yet James tells us that we can confess our sins to each other. See, we go to God to confess our sins. And when we go to God in, in confession, we experience forgiveness. When we go to other believers, we experience healing. How many of you want to experience healing? James, James says that pray for each other so that you, may be, that you may be healed. See, confession breaks the power of sin. Can I just tell you something that you can do for other believers? We believe in the, in the, in the priesthood of all believers, right? The scripture says that, that we're a royal priesthood. It says that, and the apostle Peter wrote that. Can I, let me just empower you this morning. You have the same Holy Spirit that I have. doesn't matter whether you went to Bible college or seminary or whatever. you got the same Holy Spirit that I have in me. Can I just empower you today? When someone comes to you, a friend, and they confess some sin in their life, and you know that they've prayed and they've gone to Jesus, you can pronounce some powerful words over them. You are forgiven in Jesus' name. Did you know that you have the authority to do that? And it's not your authority. It's the authority given to you by Jesus Christ as a, as a, follow, as a follower of Jesus, as, as, a, as a spiritual priest in his kingdom. You can pronounce over somebody. How many of you would say those words would bring healing to your soul when the enemy is trying to attack your mind with guilt and condemnation to hear another believer speak over you? You are forgiven in Jesus' name. And so this is why you need some other believers in your life. This is why you need to be in a life group. You need to be on a team. You, you, you need some relationships in, in your life, somebody that you can be real with, that you can bear your soul. You don't have to tell everybody, but you got to tell somebody. See, sin grow, grows in the dark. When we bring it out into the light, the power of sin is broken. It's been said, you're only as sick as your secrets. And so when you bring your sin out into the light, the power of sin is broken. You say, well, Pastor Jeremy, do you do this? You better believe I do this. I have a group of pastors I'm in a brotherhood group with other pastors. In fact, Pastor Brad, who preached last week, is, is one of those guys, and he's one of our overseers. And I have other men in my life that I can confess to, that I can ask to pray for me. We check on each other. How are you doing? How's your marriage? How's your walk with Jesus? Man, we need that in your life. <laughs> Relationships, they're, they're not optional. They're oxygen. We need people that we can confess to. It'll bring freedom in your life. Let me leave you with this quote. Pastor John Mark Comer said this. 
He said the key to spiritual formation is to change what we can control, our habits, to influence what we can't control, our flesh. The reality is it's really hard to control the flesh. Any of you have ever tried to diet or fast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We can't control the flesh, but we, we can influence the flesh. We can shape the flesh. We can pray. We can fast. We can confess. We can worship. Do you know that's what you do in worship and worship? You're orienting your heart toward God. We can influence our desires. Now, let me encourage you today because sometimes I know it feels like we're never going to change. I know in this room, some of you are like, that's wonderful, Pastor Me, That's a great message. But man, I'm struggling with this temptation. I'm struggling with this addiction. I'm struggling with this compulsive behavior. And it feels like it's never going to change. You ever feel that way? I think most of us have felt that way before. In fact, it's the lie of the enemy. He wants you to believe that so that you'll get discouraged and give up. But let me leave you with some encouragement from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. Listen to what he said. Galatians 6 verse 8 through 9. He said, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. This is a little agricultural term here, right? Like sowing seed. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now here's the good part, verse 9. He said, let us become, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He says, let us not grow weary in doing good. What does that mean, doing good works? No, no, no. Remember, we read Galatians 5. We ought to know the context. He's telling them to put to death your flesh, crucify the flesh, live by the Spirit. He says, don't give up in doing that. Don't give up in fighting those urges that you have. Even on your bad days, when you get up, dust yourself off. Don't believe that it's over. Don't believe it's always going to be this way. Because if you do, if you hold on long enough, in due time, in proper time, we're going to reap a harvest. And what is the harvest? The harvest is the character of Jesus Christ. The harvest is the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. It's walking in freedom and victory. Come on, over time, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to change your heart. But Pastor Jeremy, you understand, I have all these sinful desires. I'm dealing with this addiction. I'm dealing with this lust. I'm dealing with this temptation. Well, here's the good news. Walk with Jesus long enough and he'll give you new desires. He'll replace your desires because he's putting a new heart on the inside of you. The problem is we get too zoomed in and we get discouraged. Every now and then, church, you got to zoom out and remember just how far you've come, just how far God has brought you. Come on, we're following him for a lifetime. It's one day at a time by his grace. But I believe years from now, you're going to look back and see how God began to give you freedom because grace is like compound interest. It takes off and explodes over time. It'll set you free. Come on, the psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, Pastor Jeremy, sometimes the desires of my heart are messed up. Well, here's the good thing. As you delight yourself in him, he begins to put new desires in your heart so that you begin to long to do the will of God, the things of God. You want the things of God. Come on, it's like upgrading from fast food to a five-star steakhouse. You're like, oh my gosh, I used to eat that junk over there in the drive-thru, but now I've got this beautiful steak sitting in front of me. Why would I have ever eaten that when I can eat this? Do you see it? That's what he does for us. He changes your desires. Okay, let me give you one more. It's like looking back at an old girlfriend you used to date, thinking, what in the world was I doing with her? What in the world was I doing with him? Looking at your high school yearbook, oh my God, when God had something so much better for me, why would I ever even go back and want that? That's what he does in your heart. Why would I ever want that thing again? When what God had for me was so much better. Be encouraged. Come on, God is working in your life over time. 
Don't, don't, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in, in the towel. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we're going to reap a harvest. We're going to walk in freedom. We're going to ha- have the heart of Jesus on the inside of us. I want to pray for you this morning. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray into that this morning. Come on, let's pray into that. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion. But we recognize today that we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We cannot do this on our own. But with the, with the help of God's Spirit, with the power of the gospel, we can walk this out. Come on, pray with me today. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your word. Where your word is, is, there's light, there's truth. And right now you're shining that truth on our hearts today. And Lord, today some of us are recognizing that we've been feeding the wrong desires. Some of us are recognizing that we've been making some choices that are not leading us down the path that you would have for us, the path of life. God, we thank you for a Holy Spirit, grace-filled wake-up call today. Lord, today we're throwing ourselves on your grace. We're throwing ourselves on your mercy. God, we thank you that we don't have the power, but we thank you for the power of the cross of Jesus Christ that sets us free. And Lord, we receive your grace today. We receive your forgiveness today. We walk in step with the Spirit today. We're not going to get ahead of you. We're not going to fall behind you. But Lord, every day, by by your grace. Lord, today, I'm praying for encouragement in your people today. For those who have been struggling with some temptation, for those who have been struggling with some addiction, Lord, we all have something. Lord, today, let us not become weary in doing good. For in the proper time, we're going to reap a harvest. We're going to walk in your freedom. We're going to walk in your wholeness. Through the Spirit abounds in our life. God, help us to see it today. Help us to hold on to it today. We let go of every lie of the enemy today. And God, we thank you that you are putting a new heart on the inside of us today. We thank you for it and we celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.